The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Good morning, Mile High, and welcome back to another edition of Sharing Our Stories back on your radio here at Max Media of Denver. My name is Slim from Jammin 101.5 and my co-host from Tribe Recovery Homes, Tomas Hernandez here in the building, and uh, we'll teach you a little bit about Tribe Recovery Homes this morning, and we've got a great guest who is here to share in their story of recovery, and if you are just tuning in for the first time with us, uh, Sharing Our Stories, this program that you're listening to right now is all about sharing stories of recovery from drug and and or alcohol addiction. So everybody in this room has dealt with um, addiction and we are in recovery, whether, that, whether that's a couple of years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, uh, everybody that comes through here is currently in their recovery. And so we thank you this morning for giving us some time. We hope that by listening to this program, you, if you are suffering an addiction, will choose to find a pathway to your recovery or maybe if you're not somebody who's dealing with addiction but you know a family member or a friend um, a co-worker you might be able to understand what they're going through maybe even lead them on a path towards finding their recovery because I know Tomas is a strong believer and so am I that there's many pathways to recovery and everybody can find their recovery we've um, we've dealt with people who have relapsed we've dealt with losing people to addiction and um, Tomas with probably more experience than, than anybody I know can tell you many stories on how people have found their recovery so good morning Mahai thanks for turning us on Tomas how you doing this morning man I'm doing great uh, good morning everybody um, I know it's early thank you for listening um, you know the first thing that uh you probably don't want to hear if you're waking up a little tipsy from the night before is <laughs> a recovery show, but tune in. You might learn something and want to do the same thing that we got if, you, if you're struggling, you know, because um, I do remember those early hours and I just needed something to hear something positive and somebody to talk to. So I hope this story helps you if you're out there and if you have a family member that you're listening and uh, you need to find uh, a better way, a better place for that loved one. I hope you can find something through SOS and get in touch with me and Slim, and uh, we can help you um, to a better day, brighter future, and uh, get through the darkness through that. So uh, appreciate y'all tuning in. For those that are just tuning in for the first time, um, I hope most of you, I hope by listening, you've listened to me on the radio before, and you're like, yeah, Slim, I know exactly what you do. You're on the radio. Um, but Tomas, tell everybody a little bit about Tribe Recovery Homes and, and what it is that you do. Okay, so Tribe Recovery Homes is uh, is a homegrown product. It's basically what it was. It started as, as, as a whim on me being in recovery and needing a job and being able to help people. And through my own trials and tribulations, I figured out through the judicial system that I was in, my addiction problems and the things that we needed help with, with a lot of resources went out there, how to fill the gaps. So what that means is, you know, if you drink or, or do drugs, you're probably going to get a ticket, Right. So you're going to have some judicial problems. So our services uh, are heavy, heavy, heavy 
affiliated with the judicial systems and those relationships to get you through that on a pre or a post. So you're downtown in Denver, you walk, walk out of a jail, out of booking and released, you're going to see a tribe person right in front of you to receive you to talk about resources. You get out of pretrial, you're going to see us there. You go to the aid center across the street, SCC, SCCIC, which is Second Chance Center in the city, and the aid center, you're going to see a, a tribe professional there. We also got a treatment center that's off of 12th and Mariposa, which is tagged to a multiple amount of, other, of recovery homes. So PHP practice. So basically what you got is you got sober living, recovery homes that has treatment for mental health and substance abuse. And that is all Medicaid driven. So what we want to do is we want to make it to where, you know, most people that know about insurances and things that go on with that. It's kind of hard to put a loved one in, in into treatment when you got, uh, you know, a $5,000 deductible and out of pocket, you know, and that's not like the, I can't do that. Exactly. You know, um, or you don't have insurance for that individual. And luckily, uh, Medicaid, by the graces of God, came around and gave us the opportunities to do that. So Thanks. we can really, really focus and tackle that situation. So, yes, Tribe is uh, mental health and, and substance abuse recovery homes, reentry, um, where basic model is hardworking men and women in recovery. We're going to teach you how to step up, get yourself, get yourself together, your life together, and get back on the road with a job, get past your judicial problems. And even if you don't have judicial problems, you can come to us too. You know what I mean? Let's get it before you, before you get there. You know, so it's 18 and up. It's a, an adult program. Um, but yeah, um, from step one, you're ready to get you somebody, I mean, as soon as they say, I have a problem. Exactly. So we're going to take you to detox. We're going to figure out that situation. We're going to go assess you. We're going to make sure that you're, you're, you're a fit for the program. If you're not a fit, we're going to work with one of our community partners and get you somewhere that you need to be. You know, not everybody's a fit for Tribe. I'm not going to be up on here and tell everybody that, hey, this one all be all. We're the best. We're the best. We do good at what we do, and we work with very good other professionals and organizations that are out there to get you where you need to be. So if you call Tribe and you're not a fit for Tribe, we're going to find where you need to be, and we're going to get you into that, into that situation for you. You know, so with that being said, um, the last part of it is, you know, it's, it's a peer-to-peer program. You know, uh, a good portion, over 85% of the employees have been in the program. So they go from zero to, to professional, all the trainings that are needed um our executive staff to our clinical staff are all in recovery you know i I think the only one that's not in recovery is our billing professional and our in our in our admin Mm -hmm. other than that um we're all in recovery we've all got multiple years even our clinical director osvaldo cabral he's got over 20 odd years in recovery but this guy also is a double master's degree professional Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so that just proves to you what you can do in addiction to achieve things you know, and there's multiple, multiple stories. We've got about 40 employees, and it's, a, it's, it's been a wonderful journey to start from actually me drawing a gorilla on a bar napkin in a cigar bar looking outside on Colfax and seeing the needs that our state needed and thinking about my experiences and what it took to get myself into recovery. You know, I built it with a big team, but there originally was... Let's get this gaps of service, like I said. Let's let's figure it out because there was too many gaps. Too many people were falling through the cracks and too many people can't afford those private treatment centers that, that you know, they do a great job. I'm not going to shoot them down. A lot of them will be on the, on the air and they'll be sponsors and all that stuff. It's just 
we're we're the we're the alternative we're the new model of what we're trying to do and we're uh we're doing well it's awesome. So Drive Recovery Homes is the sponsor for this program, sharing our stories. And we share stories from people who are uh, in recovery, who have dealt with addiction. And this morning we have a great guest who is here to share their story. You might have heard of them before because he is a former athlete. He played for our Denver Broncos, uh, also played for other NFL teams. Um, I'm going to let Tomas do the official introduction because they're, they're really good friends. Mm-hmm. And um, Tomas, let, let everybody know who we're going to be hearing from this morning. Okay, so everybody, this is a real dear friend of mine. Um, actually, one of the first people that I was kind of intimidated at when I first seen him. <laughs> I, I go to the cigar shop. I sit around by this real live wire guy named Orlando. <laughs> And he would stand up, give this guy some cigars. I kind of look at him like, should I say hello? He was just on a mission. I didn't know he had to get to work. But he'd come and get his sticks and be out. i just kind of, you know, give him that, like, okay, I'll see you. You know what I mean? But uh, one day I was sitting in a meeting, and uh, my sponsor um, and good friend, uh, keep his an- anonymity, was walked him in, and he needed help. And I realized the human side of that and – he, t- he told his story, and, and you know how hard that is for somebody that's uh, from the communities that you're going to hear that he's from and what he's done with his life to sit in, and be in humility into a 12-step room and ask for help. That's, ladies and gentlemen, that's more courage than you could, you could possibly even imagine to walk through that door and sit in that chair and be vulnerable like that. Um, my buddy looked at me and said, we need to help him. And since then, I've done nothing but put a friendship together with Marlon, um, help him where he needs to, to get and become a great um, advocate for his life. You know, call it mentor, call it whatever. I'm, you know, I'm available and I'm really, really excited to be on this journey with him. I'm honored to be on this journey to help him with recovery and, uh, and, and rebuild his kingdom. You know what I mean? Rebuild his kingdom. Mahai, we'd like to welcome Marlon Jackson to the studio, and he is our guest this morning for sharing our stories, and we're going to turn this over to Marlon, and Marlon's going to tell us, uh, tell all of us his story about addiction and recovery, and um, let's see what we can all learn from Marlon this morning. Marlon, thank you so much for being here. What up, though, Slim? Good morning, uh, Good Mr. Morning. Hernandez. <laughs> Good morning to you, sir. Thank you for that stellar introduction. I had to turn around to see who you was actually talking about. But, uh, <laughs> thank you for that. That was uh, wonderful. Uh, yeah. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Marlon Jackson. I am from Detroit, Michigan. Um, I was uh, where where I was told uh, that I would not make it past seventeen years old. Um, I was told that from elementary school. Um, so imagine being told that, nah, you're not going to make it past 17 when you're in elementary school. Like you actually start to believe that your lifespan can't be that great. Uh, but thank God I had a praying grandmother um, who uh, not only still lives inside my heart, uh, but was a person who was, was very key in my upbringing. Um, my story with sobriety is... Uh, Unique, I would say, and I've like you know I, I've I've heard several people speak in AA um, about their 
own personal stories, but I felt like mine was uh, different and like I didn't believe or understand that I had a problem. I didn't think that drinking was an issue. I didn't think that it was abnormal. I actually thought that it was normal. Um, being uh, raised how I was raised, uh, it just didn't, it never came across as a as a problem. Um, most of my family members drink, so seeing it wasn't anything new. Like at family gatherings, it was it was normal. It was it was normal. It was it was what I was used to, and that's a dangerous thought process to have um, as someone whose whose mind is being molded to evolve to a better person. Um, when you believe that what you are experiencing, if it is the lowest form of what life could possibly be as your normal, you'll accept it and then think that it's okay when none of it was okay. Uh, my normal was unique to say the least. Um, I actually started drinking. My Ooh, my mama gonna whoop me. Uh, I started drinking when I was 11. Um, and and she had no idea because um, I had cousins who had liquor at their houses. Uh, we had family members who had liquor at their houses. And it was just out in the open. So it wasn't anything not, uh, not normal for us to have family members drinking. And we would go inside to where the liquor was and we would have a drink. It was uh, not okay. It's it's never okay for a child to have a drink at, at any stage of their life. That's why um, there's a 21 and up on drinking. Uh, but it was uh, something that was not frowned upon. And that, among, uh, among other things, um, was a very difficult process for me to be in. First of all, trying to combat a mindset of, man, I actually have a problem when I didn't see it as a problem, when how I was raised, it wasn't a problem, with how, when, when how what I understood uh, drinking to be wasn't a problem until it was a problem. And then I had to face it. And then not wanting to even face it was just difficult for me. Um, I, would, I, would, I would use drinking as anesthesia uh, because seeing, uh, seeing, seeing, seeing people die in front of you, um, seeing your loved ones pass away, seeing seeing people get shot, having like guns drawn on you, um, and for some reason a bullet didn't come out. Thank God, but experiencing that and then try to like deal with that when your only example of what you or how you should possibly deal with it is someone who's silent. How do you how do you learn? Like how do you get a chance to understand like this is not real life? Like this is not how life should go this is not normal <laughs> at all um, how do you how do you how do you learn when the teachers that that you you have in your upbringing were limited by their teachers um, I, my, my my grandparents raised us um, along with my mother not that my father wasn't in the in the picture but my parents got divorced when I was five um, so learning about life from the descendants of sharecroppers. The only perspective that we had was we had to work hard because that's how you got ahead. Like you, you wake up, you work hard, you go to bed, and you do it again the next day. 
if the only thing that they got from that was doing more of the same, how do you expect to achieve more? When do you believe? Like, what do you have that says I can be exceptional? I've never heard any any parent or any like teacher say, hey, you should grow up to be mediocre. Like, who wants to be that? Like, no one like really wants to be that. So I was uh, limited by my teachers. But I mean, I, shoot, I loved them and I, and I honored them. But I got to a point where it didn't serve a purpose in my life anymore. Like the life lessons, they didn't serve a purpose anymore. Um, at the same time, trying to deal with things that I was facing as an adult, I couldn't because there was no molding. There was no foundation of, hey, hey, this is your level of understanding. This is how you get, get through things. This is how you learn. That wasn't present. So I drank because I felt like this is how I escape. And drinking as a way of escape or drinking as a way of feeling pain or, or not wanting to feel that pain to get away from it made me not want to be sober for a long time. Um, and what I did not know is that it was setting me up for failure as my life would progress. Uh, I, was, I was very very fortunate to make it to the NFL from Detroit, Michigan, which only a few of us have, have uh, done. And I, I won't say their names because we, we can't. Uh, I probably could if I would have talked to them, but um, a few of us from my own high school made it to the NFL. And we were all expected to not live past 17. Um, and, and and these were things that were said to us by not only the teachers that we had, but the coaches that we had, like our family members. Like, how, how'd you do it? How'd you get to be 40? I don't know. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the information. Like, the, that was like how I was like groomed and raised because children were to be seen and not heard. When there was explanation needed, and I don't understand that that explanation was needed until I needed it. And then when I needed it, I only responded with what I worked on. And I worked at being physically strong. I worked at being fast. I worked at catching the football. I, I worked at physically dominating people. So my response, most of the time, was something physical. And please don't let me drink because you're going to get the worst version of me. <laughs> And probably end up going to the hospital. And I'm and I would well, I was arrested a couple of times, but uh, my 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 physical attributes were what I had cultivated. And then when it was time to actually think or process information or be in a position where I could share something, it was non existent. Because when trouble came or when conflict came to challenge whatever I was taught, when I I didn't have anything to say because I had anesthetized the pain. I couldn't I, I couldn't tell you, hey, my life was like this because of this, 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 or this. There was no explanation because when I was hurt, I was taught boys don't cry. I was taught to uh, shake it off. Um, I was taught you got to be tough. Not, you know, you should really use your words or, hey, here's the situation where you should probably learn some uh Domestic uh, things like you should learn how to take care of your house or balance your checkbook. Like nobody like told me how to do those things. Yet it was expected, but by it not being taught to me, the only thing that I could do was watch somebody else do it, and then be like, okay, I'm gonna watch what they do, and then I'm gonna try to duplicate what they do to not be embarrassed. 
because I, I didn't know what, what to say. But my embarrassment, my lack of understanding, my lack of experience, my lack of teaching led me to be like, I'm going to just drink this problem away. I'm going to get up and I'm going to work hard again because I understood how to do that. Um, growing up, how I grew up, I knew uh, how to survive. So I don't think that I, that I actually learned how to live. And that is a very detrimental position to be in if you don't learn how to live. If you're always surviving, that's all you are doing. As, as long as I make it to the next day, well, what are you going to do with that day? Like, what are your plans in a day? No plans. I'm going to lift weights. I'm going to get strong. And then when it was time to have a real conversation, I'm going to go have a drink. It was what I understood. It was what I felt. It was my go-to. And when it's your go-to consistently, it's hard to be like, no, that's not right. Like, that's not okay. That's not what I need. It's hard to face things when you've been accustomed to not facing them. Um, And instead of facing things, instead of manning up how I possibly should have, and instead of using my words, I drank. And I made it extremely difficult, not only for myself, but for my family. Um, Drinking for me was something something that I did, and I felt like I could be okay as long as I didn't feel it. But if I wasn't feeling anything, if I wasn't able to experience... um, the life that I was actually living then, I really wasn't living. And I actually had put myself in a position to not live. Um, after, after making it to the NFL, I met the mother of my children. Uh, and we started having children. Yet we didn't have any relationship classes. Uh, we didn't have any, any kind of balance that would, well, I didn't at least, um, I know that I didn't and what what she didn't know and like a lot of people in my family didn't know and like the people that we went to church didn't know and some of my closest friends is that I, I was I was drinking then and I had learned to mask it so that you thought that it was just me that you were getting O'Brien was always like that okay um, so if it looked the same and you can't tell me because I didn't want it to be addressed anyway. I didn't want someone to be like, hey, are you drunk? Because even when they did, that's what be like, nah, what you mean? That's my cologne. That's a pre-workout. I had a, I don't know, I, <laughs> I was a, I was having a cigar. I mean, I, I, I love cigars now, but it was, it was definitely a way to try to camouflage like the fragrance, like the, the scent of alcohol. And it was crippling. It was, it was uh, crippling to be in a position where I, I desperately needed help, but nobody could hear me. Because if you if you see me, I'm I'm six three. At the time, I was two fifty five. I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a small man at all. So I, I was I was never offered help uh, because of what people saw. But on the inside, man, I was crumbling. I, I was deteriorating at a at a rapid rate. Um, I did play in the league a bit. Uh, my kid's mom and I, well, I say my kid's mom because we're divorced now at the time that she was my wife. She 
I I can say now that she was a blessing. Um, she didn't do things to put our family in a detrimental situation, but I did. Um, and I don't think that she, maybe she did, but I don't think that she knew that I was drinking as much as I was drinking, like even then. Because uh, we would be at church. <laughs> we, would, we would be at, at church, at places where other, other like families would be, and nobody else was drinking. But, but what she didn't know is that I was. So um, we have, we, my uh, kids' mom and I have five children. Um, Amaya, Marlon, Devin, Braylon, and Christian. Uh, Devin passed away when he was a baby in 2005. Um, but I still count him because that's my son. Um, after after he passed away, uh, my kids' mom and I started to drift apart. Um, I was on my third NFL team, fourth NFL team at that time, and I had uh, signed with the Falcons. And initially, uh, when they like called me, I was like, I want to go. I want to go. I'm good. And um, the general manager called me, and I was like, no, I'm good. Hung up the phone. So my agent calls my kid's mom at the time. I was like, uh, he's supposed to be signing with the Falcons. Like, what? tell him to answer the phone. So she talked me into it, and I begrudgingly went to Atlanta, uh, where we were, we just struggled. We uh, struggled. I didn't know how to express that the loss of my son was killing me inside. It was killing me, and I didn't know how to say it to anybody. Only she knew how I felt, and I didn't even know how to say it to her. Um, and instead, uh, I would go and drink. I would, I would go and drink, and she would have questions for me afterwards, and we would have arguments, and we would have fights. And I know she was like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm fine, and I never was fine. But losing, losing a child does something to you. Um, it still hurts today. Um, I don't know how to recover from that, but now I continue to express my gratitude to God for allowing him to be born. Um, it's, it's, it's just a part of my daily routine now. And I am, I'm, I'm 47. I, I, I just learned about a daily, daily routine last year. So <laughs> look at God. Uh, <laughs> but we, um, after going to Atlanta, we didn't have we we had we had lost our son in 2005. Um, we had two more sons, uh, Braylon and Christian. And on the outside, man, we looked like the perfect family. Uh, we looked like we had all our stuff all together. Um, we looked happy. We looked like things were working. Um, but silently, uh, when it was just me, um, I'm screaming. I need help, but no one could hear me. Uh, and because no one could hear me, I felt like that I was rejected. I felt like that I didn't really have value. So I already had those thoughts in, within myself. Um, as like time progressed, um, uh, my kids' mom and I just kind of drifted apart, and we just we it was it was. It was fights every day. I was like, I was uh, doing the absolute wrong thing. Um, uh, just destroying doors and punching walls because we would have a disagreement because he was honestly trying to 
call me out on what I was not doing, and it was what I didn't want to face. So it became in- increasingly difficult, but where I would go to every time was a bottle because I didn't want to feel the pain. I didn't want to... I actually didn't know how to express, hey, look, I'm hurting. Uh, I, I don't know how to tell you that I'm hurting. I don't know how to get through this. I need help. And we had gotten to a point where she just couldn't just deal with it anymore. Uh, so instead of um, arguing, she would just say like the most negative thing that she could possibly say. She would tell me how I was useless. Uh, she would tell me how, well, how I just don't serve a purpose. Um, and and she would just be like, you know what? I agree with you. You ain't nothing. Yeah, you ain't nothing. I'd be like, what's wrong with you? And then it would be me asking her the questions. When she was like, nah, nah, bro, really something wrong with you. Um, but when it would get to the point where I actually had to express how I felt, I did not, because I felt like that she wouldn't listen anyway. But it was only because I wouldn't want to express it because the only way that I felt comfort, the only way that I felt that I could free myself was going to get a drink. Not feeling anything and just letting it be. Um, Not expressing the feelings of my heart. Like the heartbreak of losing a child, the heartbreak of losing my grandmother, the heartbreak of losing the job that you dreamt of having for your whole life. Um, the heartbreak of not providing for your children. The heartbreak of not not being there for your loved ones. Like it's, I didn't feel like that, that, that I was worth very much. And then I had pushed her away so much that she just would be like, you know what, that's just where you are. And it was just really negative. So we ended up separating because uh, she... She was a hustler, so she went and got a job and started working in that job. I, I believe she still has today, uh, but I think she's higher up. So um, she uh, cut the dead weight, I guess. We got a divorce, and I went out to California. And nobody knows this, but while, while I was in California, um, I was uh, I was working security and I had a weapon and it was so difficult every day for me to have the weapon and be like I mean no one's gonna miss you like if you just pull the trigger nobody's gonna miss you I mean you're already out here by yourself like those but I was saying this to myself um all this at the same time where I was drinking every day uh there was no one there that I had to hide it from anymore um, so it was, it was every, it was an everyday thing. Um, I was in California. I was out there for a, a couple of years and then I came to Colorado. Um, cause a friend of mine from college was here and was like, man, you should, you should just come out here. I came out here, uh, started working a job and everything else. And I was like, man, I'm cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I was still drinking every day, but I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm not really. I don't feel this pain that's evident in my life. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't have to face these, face these demons. I don't. Nah. Nah. I'm good. I could just. I'll just keep having to drink, and it became my reality. It became my normal to just continue to drink, and just keep going. And I felt like that. 
I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Uh, was what I was telling myself. But it was a lie. <laughs> it was a lie, man. It was it was a lie. But no one had seen me yet. Like no one who had been through what I what I'd been through had like seen me. To be like, nah, you're not good. You you're not good. Are you good? I didn't I didn't get those questions from anyone. Um until I can I say his name? Can I say? Yeah. Until I was working with Andrew McClure. Um, I thank God for Andrew McClure. Because I had a night at work where I was I was just I had I had drifted so far and no one was there to call me on it to like the darkest place that I I had ever been. Um Drinking was my morning. Uh, drinking was my afternoon. Drinking was my night. Um, and Andrew saw me, and just and, and just started to talk to me. He would ask me, "Am I okay?" And initially, what I heard was, "Are you okay?" Every day for about, I think, seven months. <laughs> seven months. He would be like, "You okay? Okay. All right. All right, man. Just checking on you. You know." Um, but I wasn't and then Andrew saw me um, he saw that I wasn't drifting to a dark place I was already there he saw that I was so far out of control that it was surprising that I could even function he 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 saw himself in me because he understood what the darkness was he understood what being in a place where you felt like that you're worthless was doing something that you had no control over. He saw me and I stopped hearing, are you okay? Because he would ask me that every day, every day he would ask me, are you okay? When we would start our shift, then at the end, you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Um, we had a, a incident at the place where we were working and I had drank way more than what I would when, when what I than what I had usually drank. I would usually have like a bottle of um, Jameson 18 year in the morning. It would be gone by the time I had to go to work and then I would have whatever I was drinking at work. But this day I had a whole bottle of like Maker's Mark <laughs> after the Jameson. So um I was I was out of control. I was uh I was told to go home. We had a we had a situation at work and I was told to go home. And I was leaving and then all of a sudden I don't remember anything else. But when he told me what I did and what I said, I was like I I just burst into tears because I had no recollection of who I was in that moment. Um, at the at the place that we worked, I had a weapon, um, and I was so angry that I had gotten to the point where I pulled the weapon out and put a bullet in the chamber. And because I don't even remember <laughs> what it was about, but I know that that's what I did. And the only memory that I have is I could hear my own voice saying, "It's probably a good idea if you shoot yourself." 
It's probably a good idea. You've gone too far. No one cares. It's probably a good idea if you shoot yourself. And I'm standing in front of police <laughs> with their weapons drawn. But I, but I, I mean, it's I worked at the place for seven months, so they knew me. It was like this is how you are. I'm like, man, I'm drunk all the time. Y'all just didn't know. But it, it was they they're they're standing there like Marlon. Please put the gun down. And Andrew said, I told them you should probably shoot me. And man, I lost it, like, because I didn't even remember. The only thing that I could remember is me saying to myself, "I should, I should probably shoot myself," because I was worthless. I mean, come on, man, you, you, you all the way in Colorado. You ain't no father no more. You ain't no brother no more. You ain't a son no more. You're nothing. You're, you're the accomplishment, accomplishments that you had. You're not that anymore. You're this. You drink. That's what you do. Ain't nobody gonna miss you. You don't matter to nobody at all. But that's not true. Because I know in that moment I matter to Andrew. And because I matter to Andrew, I'm sitting here today. Because Andrew took the gun out of my hand. As I was pulling it up to put to my head, he pulled it down and took it out of my hand. I had no control. I had, I had no control. I was, I had been far gone, but where I was, I, I had no control at all. And for this man to be planting seeds the whole time that he worked with me because he saw me, because he understood my plight, because he understood my feelings, because he understood where I was at the time, because he had been through it for him to see me, no one had done that for me. For him to see me in that moment, that saved my life. Somebody else hearing the cry of your heart when you can't formulate the words to say, I need help, please. Or you tried to say it and people's like, nah, nah, man, you tough. Come on, man, look how big you are. What does my size have to do with what I'm feeling? I had no idea how to express that. I had no idea that I had a reason to. I had I had no clue that I should use words to speak to someone who could possibly help me because I stopped believing that I was worth it. And drinking made me not feel it. Because I don't, I don't know anyone who wants to feel like, eh, you ain't worth it. And be like, yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. Nobody does that. No one. But that's where I was. That's That's how I felt. That's what I believed. And the drinking made me not feel that way. Until I had to face it. Until I had to face it. The thing that I remember from that night is that when I, the police didn't shoot me, so thank God for that. And Andrew took the gun out of my hand because he had already known that I was... I had gone too far. It takes someone to experience the brokenness of addiction, to hear and to see you. And when he heard and he saw me, he didn't leave me. He wasn't like, nah, you'll be straight. He was like, are you okay? Are you okay? But that are you okay means something different to me now. But he kept saying it over and over and over so I would hear him say, are you okay? And I would say to myself, man, I'm straight. 
today, I'm grateful that he asked, are you okay? Because it wasn't just, are you okay? It's my brother, I love you. I care about you. You're worth it. If you don't feel like you are worth it to you, you're worth it to me. Please let me help you. That's what are you okay meant now. And I had no clue because I didn't believe it. I was so engulfed in the addiction of drinking that I didn't want to see myself. Um, the drinking made me numb. And that was what I wanted to feel. I didn't want to face the reality of my life um, where I thought that I was a failure, but I wasn't. I'm 47. If I'm not mistaken, I was supposed to be dead at 17. That's a win. A win is a win. A win is a win. And I'm going to take that win. Uh, I have I have children who actually love me. A win is a win. And, and I'm, I'm going to take that win. I'm going to take that win. I had a football career that not many people where I'm from have or dreamed of not just where I'm from, but in the world. Top 1.7% in the world. I did that. For a long time, I was like, nah, I don't. What does that mean? Oh, sir, it means something great. <laughs> and I didn't want to acknowledge the accomplishments that I actually did have. Because once it was over, I couldn't see it anymore. Like everybody could see me, but I couldn't turn a mirror on myself. I couldn't. I didn't want to. It was it was so many things that I felt that I thought that drinking could solve that it never did. It never did. Now, it may have paused it for the moment, but once it was unpaused, it was all of the same feelings. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to face the reality of your mortality when you've been to a level where people look at you like gods. When you've literally come from nothing to a whole lot of something that you have no clue what to do with. And people look look at you like a god. It it does something to you. I know it did something to me. Because I wasn't supposed to be there. Today I understand that that's not the truth. Today I understand that I earned the right to be where I was. The good and the bad. Like I, I, I like the the not having my kids. The Divorce, I earned that because I, I did some stuff to this woman. I, I, I earned that. And I, I earned the right not to be your husband. I, I definitely earned that right, which is horrible. But I also earned some some great things. Um, I'm alive today. I didn't earn that part. Um, but but I'm but I'm grateful and I, and I have gratitude that I do, that I, that I am here today. Um, it's just, I used to take my life for granted because I didn't believe that uh, my past accomplishments could mean something to not just me, but to anybody. I didn't. I didn't think that I had a voice. I didn't think that somebody would want to hear what I had to say. Um, and I thought that when people saw me and be like, "Man, do you work out?" I would be like, "Nah." <laughs> and I'd be like, "Come on, bro, for real. Like, you like do like something." And I would say, "Well, I only work out on the days that end in day, so." Very, very minimal, very minimal. So, <laughs> um, man, I was hurting, man. I was, 
I was hurting, I was stuck, and I thought that I could drink and make it my reality and make it normal when it never was supposed to be that way. I was addicted. I am an alcoholic, and it's something that I've been fighting for 10 months now. 10 months, clean and sober. Um, I am I am very, very capable of thinking at this point, um, expressing my emotion, um, understanding what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it, um, only because somebody hurt me, somebody saw me because of what they had been through and could understand what I had been through. Um, Andrew and Jeremy and Chris and Trevor and Tomas um, spoke life to me when I was at a point where I didn't really want to speak life to myself. But these men have all been through an addiction. And to have, to have somebody like Tomas tell you, hey, stop being a bitch. Like, <laughs> like what? I'm about to punch me in your forehead. But <laughs> it's it's like coming from a genuine place. And he's not saying to that, you know, not, not to be a female dog. It's, what he's saying is that stand strong because you don't need to cower. What had you bound once you're free from? Don't go back. That's it. Stop being a bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's that's it's something that we that we share now. Like I like I draw strength from this man because because he's true to his word. Because he is a brother, and not not just in word, like in like deed. Also, he he stepped up to be my sponsor. And I'm going to, like, kick him in his kneecap because we're on step one. But <laughs> but he is a man of his word. And when I was at a point where I was in need, this man came to my aid. I don't, other than my family, who is not here in <laughs> Colorado, mm-hmm. um, I don't have a, a blood relative here in Colorado until now. This man's my blood relative. Because he's because he's been through what I've been through. He understands what addiction has done to him. And also he can he can see and hear me. Um so that part, man, I don't I can't clap for him enough. I'm not gonna give him flowers because that's not our relationship, but uh, <laughs> then, then I'm really gonna call you that. <laughs> and never run because I'm gonna need like a bulletproof cage. <laughs> well, you won't get away because I'm stretching, so yeah, now you're in trouble. <laughs> I'm sober and I'm drinking water. You not getting away from me? Ain't no, ain't no way, you, sir. You are in trouble. I want you to do something. No, no, I don't. I'm, I'm so much more civil now. <laughs> but that's my story. Marlon Jackson, thank you so much for sharing this portion of your life with us. Because, you know, it's only one story in the long story of your life. And I, I salute you and your strength and your courage. And I'm, I'm mad. You gave me goosebumps. And I can relate to your story. I'm an alcoholic. And I could relate to many of the things that you said. And I really just thank you for your, open, your openness, your honesty. And, and I congratulate you. And that's the big, big part is I congratulate you on every day of your sobriety. Your days, your weeks, your months, what soon's to be a year, and then your years. And congratulations to you. And 
I remember day one, and there's probably somebody out there who needs a day one, and I, I hope that your words can help them to see their pathway there too. Thanks. You know, um, I want to bring up one of the things that you said, which was you were never offered help. You said I never was offered help. I'm six foot three at the time, two hundred and fifty-five pounds. How much do you think? people think that because of your size that you're supposed to be strong enough to do it all on your own I think that uh, most people's perception of me at the time was their reality what, what they can see with someone big and strong and like if if they needed help moving something like uh, as if moving was the end all be all but look man you, you, you look like you could like really help someone move something um, it was it was a lady who watched me and like a one of my friends who I work out with. We would like warm up pushing a car, and she was like, "Are you guys okay? Do you need cables? Do you need help?" He was like, "No, we're just working out." She was like, "Working out? Where y'all from?" <laughs> <laughs> and my friend was like, "Not from here." She was like, "Colorado." He's like, "No, nah, Earth." But just seeing me and having the perception of their own personal life experience, like someone big and strong probably doesn't need help. Yeah, when it's nothing close to what I truly needed um, I used to be ashamed to ask for help because I thought I was big and strong I believed that the body that you see was me I'm like no nah, this is me I'm the black incredible Hulk that's me <laughs> yeah. no nah, I don't need no help and when that yeah. was absolutely and you remember the first conversations we had <laughs> yeah. yeah you know basically they became along the lines is about Recovery ain't about how big and strong you are. You got to be able to be strong in spirituality and heart. You're going to walk into a recovery room and you're going to see a person with multiple years that might be on oxygen that maybe have one leg. You're going to be seeing people just as strong as Marlon. Um, I used to go to this this 12-step meeting and uh, there was a gentleman there that was uh, in a wheelchair. And it wasn't because he got in an accident because he had a birth defect. And this man sat in this meeting for 25 years before he passed away with the most courage I ever seen in my life. And he would be there to help people every day. That was his thing. He'd go to this meeting because it's seven days a week. And he'd hold up that place and he didn't have a car. He'd always get a ride from one of his sponsees or take the bus. But it's about dedication to that, you know, and that's the thing with with me and Marlon. What we work on is this is rebuilding the kingdom ain't about the strength in your body. It's about the strength in your heart. It's about your will. It's about Mm -hmm. your spirituality. You know, there's a thing about that. A lot of people get messed up. It's like, I'm not going to do all that 12 steps because it's God. I'm not going to do all this spirituality because treatment centers, all that kind of stuff. No, 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 man. Religion is for people trying to find heaven. Spirituality is for people that have been through hell trying to find peace let's start there and that's what the conversations like me and marlon and andrew and jeremy and the boys we talk about because you know it's not about trying to find god he's already found he's here yeah, he's not lost yeah. he's not you lost he's he been he's watching lost. you, <laughs> you <laughs> lost. yeah he's been watching you you know him for the atheists in the room sitting there laughing about it whatever you know that's 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 your thing and you know no disrespect on that that's that's your journey because you know what in recovery you really don't even have to be about that you just got to know that you ain't god true and if you're atheist you know that you ain't god because there ain't no god 
to you. You know what I mean? Exactly. (laughs) To me, I know I'm not God because, you know, if I was your God, oh, my God, there'd be cigars everywhere and... And Don't some really, <laughs> really messed up programming because not everybody's a Raiders fan like me, you know. And it would be it'd be a lot of uh, passive aggressive jokes. And yeah, that's why everybody asks me about politician man. And oh, you don't want me to do that. <laughs> this is going to be a very different Aurora, you know. What I mean? But anyway, you know, not to take your, your gas on that, but man, I'm I'm really, really proud to be on this journey um, with both of y'all on the show. Um, I grew up watching my my big brother kingdom and slim and to be in the studio with slim he's a legend you know to be in recovery he's he's been servicing this community forever man he's been on the radio i mean you're talking about work slim gets up at four in the morning and doesn't go home till like 10 at night most days to make sure that the programming so you could just pop on the radio and listen maybe for two minutes to three hours He's up in here doing his thing. You know what I mean? He's fighting his own demons in recovery. And for you, Marlon, you know, it's been an honor. You leveled up in the company he works for me. You know, to be able to have Marlon stand there when somebody comes out of jail in the capital of Colorado, downtown, in our reentry program, into our, our, you know, coming out of booking and receiving. You know, I'm sure it's pretty intimidating, you know, you're on Facebook and you're seeing Marlon. You know, standing there in front of you, mm-hmm. you know, but like how you call me Slim, like a big teddy bear, he's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, him and Matt, you know, they're, they're like the Twin Towers. T- Matt looks like the dude on, on Braveheart that used to th- that threw the boulder. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Mel Gibson's sidekick. You know, you seeing him and then you seeing, you seeing Marlon, you know what I mean? But they're going to tell you to you real and they're going to love you and they're going to give you the resources that you need to get down the street. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's, that's the thing, Marlon. I'm just so proud of you that you, you're, you're really seeing you. And that's, that's, you know, that's what recovery gave to me, you know. And what's great about recovery is I see more of me and I see what, more of what I don't want and what I need to fix to be a better person because you know day one was one way yeah. but day um, the thousands that I'm almost on 10 years now is another way you know yeah, what yeah. I mean it's you know I was yeah, with man. a granola you know with granola in a backpack and now I got a wife in a house and a business and kids and all that you know what I mean it's a different day but you know I'll, I'll turn it back on to you guys but man I just wanted to let you know I'm really really happy for you to be on this on this show and 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 I know it takes a lot of courage to talk about that, especially in the places that you've been. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, it's amazing. Thank you, Marlon. Thank you for your time this morning. So you now work for Tribe Recovery Homes. Yes, sir, I do. Do you have a, a? Would you say that now that part of your your future is helping people in recovery? Is 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 this a pathway you want to continue to take? It absolutely is. Yeah, um, I can hear you and I can see you. Yeah. Um. I. And, and that has been the most blissful, wonderful, beautiful, ugly, nasty, <laughs> scariest experience ever. Because uh, when you do see someone and, and you can, you, you understand what they're going through and they're not ready yet, it hurts. Man, it hurts. Um, and we like try our best to try to help those those people, men and women. Um, but if they're not ready, we, we can't force you. No. Like you, you have to be willing to make that choice, and until you you are willing to make that choice, you will be where you are, and that's the unfortunate part. That's it's a, so true, though. Yeah, 
is I mean that was the hardest part for me was being willing right. you know finally saying okay I knew I had a problem but doing something about it yes sir you know like I'm sure you knew you had a problem but doing something about it I didn't want to no, see <laughs> I, that's, I, I there it is there it to. is I like I, I like share with the boys um because we there's there there have been some <laughs> situations where I'm, uh, I would like say to them like I just I don't like the way people look at me, <laughs> and they'll be like, "Well, you did it," and it's true. And I've like said like, "Man, I like built this tank. Now I gotta be not this." And Tomas says it to me all the time. He's like, "Yes." <laughs> I'm like, "Bro, no, no, no." I'm like, "No, you don't understand. Like, you you don't understand the work that I put in to get to this point. Like, I this I I I did this to me, like me." He was like, "Yeah." You did, yeah, you, you're right. You look great. Now what? And I'm like, oh, oh, man, oh, okay. All right. I'm gonna just listen there. I'm gonna just listen. But I think um, it's a blessing that that someone can see you and understand that you have gifts and you have a level of understanding that you can like share with someone. In order for me to get to the to the point that I've gotten physically, I had to have discipline at some point, somewhere. I had to have drive. I I had to want to push myself, and I had to not be what I was. What is recovery? You got to have discipline. You got to have drive. You have to not be, not want to be where you was, and you have to want something different. And I've done it physically my whole life, and wasn't able to see it until I met somebody, some people who who could actually see me. So, oh man, I love it. I love it. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being here with us this morning, Marlon. Yes, thank you for your work at Tribe Recovery Homes. Um, Mile High, this is sharing our stories, and it is brought to you by Tribe Recovery Homes. And if you or someone you know uh, is in need of taking that step towards your recovery, want to give you some information, um, I want you to pick up the phone. And I want you to call 720-60-TRIBE. That's 720-60-TRIBE. Um, 720-608-7423. And you can use that number. And maybe Tribe Recovery Homes isn't for you, but they're going to find you the path that you need. But you have to be wanting it, like he said. You have to want it. You have to have that drive, that determination. You have to be ready. And maybe you are. Or maybe you just need some information, or maybe you need to pass it on to a family member. But I want you to use that number. You can also just Google Tribe Recovery Homes. You can Google Recovery in Colorado. Google Recovery in Denver. You're in Longmont. Google Recovery Longmont. You don't have to reach out to us. We just want, if the goal of what we have been doing here this hour is if we can get one person out there who's suffering to find their pathway to recovery, then this has been a successful morning. And that's what this has all been about this morning. Once again, our guest has been Marlon Jackson. My co-host is Tomas Hernandez. Hey, thank you, everybody. Definitely thank you. And just like how Slim said, if you hear this and you awake, I'm not talking about woke, how everybody's talking about. I'm talking about recovery. You feel awake that we're talking to you. Yeah, we are. We're talking directly to you. Pick up that phone. Get on the internet. Look for help. Go to a 12-step meeting. Go to your local church. Go call a friend that you know will help you. You know, just do it now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate because this could be your life right now. Thank you. Mahai, join us again next Sunday. We're here every Sunday for you at 7 a.m. Spread the word. 
You can find more information about this program on our websites. That's jammin1015.com and flowdenver.com. And, of course, on the Tribe Recovery Homes website. www.triberecoveryhomes.com. Very easy. And if you want to come to Tribe, all you do is hit apply here, and we'll get right back. All right. So we hope that you join us next Sunday right here for sharing our stories on Jammin' 1015 and Flow 107.1.